Hello, welcome to DNA Sports Talk. This is the Donna D and DNA. Uh, sitting in again once again is Greg. How you feeling, man? Doing all right, man. Um, just saying, Black Thursday Month has flown by, uh, <laughs> but good to be on with y'all. Hey, man, we bring the facts about sports, and if you don't agree, say so. We got a lot to get into this evening. A lot that's happened here in Atlanta on the track as well as the hard court. Uh, a real interesting discussion that we're going to get into about NCAA football and how the landscape has changed and changed quickly. Something that we talked about earlier this season is coming a lot, a lot sooner than a lot of us realized, as well as uh, uh, basketball and both men's and women's in the uh, NCAA in the top 10. But again, we're going to start first here in Atlanta with NASCAR. Uh, they were down in uh, South uh, Atlanta for the uh, Am Better 400 on Sunday uh, at Atlanta Motor Speedway down in Hampton, Georgia. And they're saying it is the third closest race in NASCAR history. The winner was decided by 0.003 seconds. And I want to say... It's it literally was I I I know the other two races were closer, but neither of the two races were a three wide decision, which made this the best race in NASCAR history. You can argue with anybody else you want to about that. (laughs) It literally was the best. It's the best race ever in history. we spoke about last week, last Monday, while we were on air, the Daytona 500. For those who don't know, that's NASCAR Super Bowl. Unlike the Super Bowl and football that ends the year, NASCAR Super Bowl is the Daytona 500, which begins the year for the season. And normally it will go from Daytona to uh Darlington and somewhere at maybe Richmond before it comes to Atlanta. But this is the first time that Atlanta has followed right behind the Daytona 500 and been in February. Normally it's in March and Daytona is a super speedway. Atlanta is a speedway, but not quite a super speedway because of its banking that they've added to make it 33 degrees on uh, a couple of the turns. So it's smaller in size, but it still has the speedway and the feel of a Daytona 500. And that adds more excitement to the race because it's unlike the other bigger tracks, such as a Daytona or a Talladega, where you have plateaus when you're coming out of the turn. So you go up a bank, we'll say 25, 33 degrees. And then when you come back down, then you have somewhat a straightaway to where you can pass, you can catch up, you know, that type of thing before you get into the turn. In Atlanta, by the time you come out of the turn, you're basically going right back into one to kind of give people an idea and give you a 
a resemblance of what it's like. There is no chance to, you know, gather yourself, hit a straightaway, maybe get up to 196, 97 miles an hour before another turn. Atlanta, they come back to back. And for this particular race, normally in speedways, you're going to have more wrecks. And it was interesting that in yesterday's race, it happened after the second lap (laughs) that a caution came out. And after that, it was uh, touch and go here and there. Uh, All in all, I want to say it was 10 cautions that came out throughout the race. But the uh, stage one winner was Michael McDowell. He was a 34 car. And right before that, that's when Denny Hamlin slid down into the grass. And that brought the second caution of the uh, of the day. No, the, the third one. That was the third caution of the day. The second caution was lap 25. Then it was lap 53. That was the third caution of the day. Um, Michael McDowell won the stage one. And then it was okay for a while. I think the drivers understood their, their positions that they were trying to be in. Joey Logano. Uh, just like he did uh, last week with the Daytona 500, led a majority of the laps right there during the middle, had a good car, seemed like he was going to rebound from uh, last week and possibly win this week. And after stage two, when Austin Sendrick won, then it was a few laps, it was about 60-some laps ago, and that's when another caution came out, and this involved uh, Chase Elliott, who is the hometown hometown hero from Georgia uh, in the number nine car? He got bumped by number the number one car, Ross Chastain, which is owned by Pitbull and Trackhouse. And after that, it was about fifty laps to go, and that's when they went four wide. So you can imagine four cars <laughs> side by side on a track that comfortably. Two to three cars, you know, can fit. Um, I was trying to remember who was it, but somebody dropped down to the bottom of the track, and that's how they were able to go full wide for almost a lap. Uh, the eighth caution came out came out about lap forty, and then after that, with about twenty laps to go, that's when um, Chase Briscoe brought out a caution on his lap. Then about fifteen laps to go. I think it was about 12, actually. That's when the last and final caution came out. They restarted, and with five laps to go, that's what brought us to that fantastic photo finish of the three cars of Daniel Suarez, who won the 99 car, Ryan Blaney, the number 12 car, and now I'm drawing a blank. Who was in the middle? Because Blaney was on the outside. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, thank you. Kyle Busch. Uh, was in the middle in the number eight car. And again, everybody was waiting because it took less than a minute for them to decide who was the actual winner. So all the guys had gotten out of the car. I mean, everybody's up looking at the screen <laughs> and everybody's kind of looking like, yeah, I think that's who won, but uh, it was rude official once again. Uh, Daniel Suarez, a 99 car with Trackhouse, who I mentioned, uh, Ross Chastain bust, bumped um, Chase Elliott, won his second 
NASCAR race and his first time at Atlanta Motor Speedway, winning with point zero zero three seconds. Uh, afterwards, a lot of people were asking, you know, how how do you keep this momentum going? And it's, you, you know, you keep talking about it. You keep mentioning that this was the greatest race in history. This is how you build upon that. And it's kind of similar to uh, what uh, college basketball for women did this past season with the Caitlin Clark versus LSU in the South Carolina. Could they repeat and go back to back? They seem to be the dominant team. You have to take this momentum and go with it. Uh, various forms of NASCAR throughout the day were trending on Sunday. And granted, we'll get to it in a minute, but you had Lakers versus Suns, which is a premier as far as uh, star power matchup. But what was trending was NASCAR, uh, Daniel Suarez or Suarez, Atlanta Motor Speedway, um, AM Better 400, all of that was in the top 25 trending throughout the day on Sunday. And normally that happens at a Daytona 500 because, again, that's their Super Bowl. That's their biggest race outside of, of course, the championship. But you still want to have the the name, the title saying you won a Daytona 500. Those are the type of things that trend or normally on that day. So for Atlanta to trend during the day as if it were the Daytona 500, you just hope that this translate into this coming weekend when they have to travel all the way across country to Vegas. Yeah. It, it's interesting that like it happened with the, uh, with with this race outside of the Daytona 500, and I do think that's a good thing that, mm-hmm. like you said, they can use this to to push the push the the sport forward um, to get people talking about it. I hope people realize you're not going to have a photo finish every week, <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that like it'll get people excited, um, push their uh, you know market the the drivers. Um, there's so many out there and, you know, for me, like there's not a lot of familiar names uh, for me. Like the last time I was watching, I think Jeff Gordon was still driving and, <laughs> you know, uh, and Dale Jr. So, mm-hmm. um, but this isn't, this is definitely an opportunity for them to, uh, get people talking about it, um, to market their races and to get people excited because, when you're there, and you you and Ace have been to to a lot of these races, that it's it is an exciting environment to be around, and it's exciting to watch. There are people that are interested, um, but I, this is an opportunity. Like, but but that's when you're there. But I think for to cross over into like the media, as far as people watching, this is definitely an opportunity to like. This is the kind of stuff that can happen every week. Well, not not this, not exactly like this, <laughs> right. but we can still have that kind of excitement um, and get and get people talking. So this is definitely a good thing that it was outside of. I think people like anyone knows about the Daytona 500, but the races after that, people aren't really familiar with. But if they can push those events. Uh, this will definitely turn out to be a good thing. Right. 
And and that, again, like you say, yeah, it's <laughs> it's not going to be every race like this, but you just got to hope that it sparks something to where people actually will come out for the next race. And the good thing for Atlanta, they've changed because normally they run in March and then they run in July. And July for the last few years has been hot. They almost wanted people to bring back the the term hot Atlanta, which we have tried to bury for the last <laughs> for the last few years, uh up until last year. So last year in Atlanta during July was the first time they ran at night. And that was because it is so hot and it set up for a, a great race because, yes, when they first started, it was a little warm, but it got a little cooler at night, but not unbearable. And it was comfortable for everyone. So for them this coming year to now race at the beginning of September, Atlanta is the first race to start the playoffs this year. And what better way to piggyback off of having one of the greatest races in all of NASCAR to now being the first race to start the playoffs? I think that will, at least for Atlanta, have more people to come out because you're no longer two regular season, quote unquote, races. You're a regular season and a playoff race and the very first one. And how it works, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Will William Byron won last week at the Daytona 500, so he's automatically into the playoffs. It's 16 slots. Now Daniel Suarez is automatically in, and he talked about that. And yes, you know it's great that you're win and you're in, but you want to be racing well throughout the year. And the best way to win a championship is to race well throughout the year. Now, yes, you can just, you know be fortunate enough to win run one race and keep advancing, but you want to have momentum going into the playoffs and have the team and the crew chief and the spotter, everybody on point to where you're going into the playoffs feeling good because as Suarez says, you don't race to win one or two races a year. You race to win a championship. And the best way to win a championship again is to race well throughout the year put yourself in the best position coming into the playoffs and then win the playoffs. Now with Atlanta being the first playoff race, well, you're going to have your, you know, your champion for the year there, as well as other racers, uh, the other 14 races that remain to be decided. I think it's good that um, I, I, I wonder what, what some driver strategies are as far as like, if you win, you're in the playoff is it good to win a race early in the season and now you know you're in the playoff and then you can not like goof off the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do that, but you can like at least be a little experimental with, with different strategies and see if different things work and that you don't have to, um, like kind of, it's a little bit like the pressures off because okay, once we get into the playoff, we know where we are, but you can at least try different things throughout the season, and by the time you get to the playoff, you are, um, you know what you want to do, you know how you want to race, or do some drivers want to, like, do that throughout the season, and then maybe they win a race. 
you know, they don't feel like, okay, there's not going to be 16 different winners. So, you know, we can try to uh, pile up the points. And then by the end, if we win a race, great. But we want to also like have the points um, like as a as a as a net, basically. I I think it's like any sport. Uh, we talk about it in football, uh, in particular, how the month of December is well. It's, yeah, the the end of November, the first of December, you want to be playing your best ball. You want to, even if you're, you know, you won a few games and you're kind of teetering on the playoff line. If you get hot and roll off four or five in a row and become that wild card team that nobody wants to play, then I think I would much rather have that than be like the Philadelphia Eagles were this year, where you come in, what, nine and one, 10 and one, whatever, and then you start to falter. Yeah. Then toward the end, you start to falter. Yeah, you started off hot. You were winning games. But then for whatever reason, you start to lose games. Same thing in basketball. Now that it's after All-Star, we'll get into more details in a minute. But, yeah, okay, whatever your record is, what do we do now? Can we go on a run? Can we win the majority of our uh, games for the week or two weeks? Can we go, you know, seven and three over the next two weeks? Whatever that number is, then that's the goal is to be the hottest team coming in to the playoffs. That makes sense. Um, it It is just a matter of, of what kind of um, how, how do you want it? How, how can you get there? And I think mm-hmm. I'm, maybe in some cases people don't know until you know, they're in a situation where like, are we in or not? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and for me, you know, if I were a driver, like I'm trying to win every race, uh, right. even if it just takes one to get in. Like I'm trying to win all, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's interesting to see like what kind of strategies do people have? And then, you know, if you, the first or second race, you won one of those. So how do you approach the rest of the season? leading up to the playoffs because now you got a you got a long time and that and I think that's that's the uh the interesting part of of that require of being in the playoff if you win a race you're automatically in mm-hmm. so what do you do the rest of the year <laughs> to like kind of stay in that mindset to where you're not you know you're not complacent and that you are you're ready and that you know Hey, we can we can win a championship. We have the opportunity. Right. We have the we got the opportunity in February. So by October, <laughs> right? Where do we, we want to be? You know. So it's it's uh, I, I've noticed that with with um, that with the, the like, what do you do at this point where you already know that the postseason's there for you? Uh, and compared to the other sports where, okay, we got to win this game and yeah. we need these guys to lose and these guys to not tie and win by this many, you know, you don't have to worry about that by the end of the season. Um, you already, so it, it's, it, I see how it works both ways, but so it's, 
it's interesting to see like what the strategies will be going forward or how you approach the start of the season. Yeah. Well, one thing that hasn't happened yet. So there are only 16 slots that get into the postseason. And if you win, you're in. We haven't had a scenario yet, which it could happen this year. So this is the reason why Daniel Suarez and his team have to continue to win. If there are 16 unique drivers, then it goes to, well, did you win stages? Because if you win a stage, that equals more points. If you have, you know, two wins, then you're in. Or let's say there's 17 unique drivers. Then it goes to a system of how many other wins do you have? How many points based on stages? So there's still an incentive to continue to race well and try to win more. Just in just in case there's an event that there's more than 16 unique drivers. So it's so you can't you can't goof off the rest of the season. No, not really. Not until you get halfway there. If it's halfway there, then it's only like, you know, nine unique drivers. Then you're like, okay, maybe now (laughs) maybe now we can work on little things, you know. But to that point, that is one of the things that you can work on is, okay, we're getting in and out of the the pit in uh, nine seconds. Let's get it down to eight. Well, let's get it down to 7.8 because those half a seconds win or lose you a race, i.e. 0.003. You know, it's it's those little things that take place or making sure that uh, you're marking the tires correctly to know what you need, the, the fuel, you know, all of those things you can you can work on and improve on and get better at. And then that will lead to, you know, again, a victory by the slimmest of margins sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so there. So basically there are things that they can they can work on. Um, right. But it's it's all to to. uh just to be ready. I mean, it's, I think there's uh, so I, some people may not realize how much preparation seems to go into a NASCAR race. It could be the the smallest thing, you know, and it's getting in and out of the pit. It's, uh, you know, being efficient with tire changes or, 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 or fueling up. So it's, uh, it's really, it's, it really is like, uh, it's such an interesting sport because so many things go into it. It's not just about, you know, driving fast. There's so many, so many other factors with it. All of them are talented drivers, all of them from one to 40, but it is all about trusting number one, your spotter, because in Atlanta, it went from day to night. So when you're coming around turn four for, crossing the finish line into one, the sun is directly in your eyes. So you need a spotter to tell you, or the spotter can say, okay, drop down low or go high and try and pass or stay where you're at and draft off of someone, you know, like there's that person that is constantly watching, trying to put you in the best position. And if (laughs) you don't have great communication, if you're not, familiar with each other, uh, as well as the pit crew, you know, that wins and loses races. And it's, it was 
um, funny that Suarez was talking about, well, he was asked the question, was he on the proverbial hot seat? Because he is the, like Bubba is the only black driving NASCAR full-time. Suarez is the only Latino driving NASCAR. And was he on the hot seat? Because he only had one win, like Bubba, you know. Um, what are you going to produce? And I think by winning this race, that kind of, you know, keeps things at bay <laughs> as far as <laughs> being on the hot seat. And he mentioned that coming to track house, who's owned by again, Pitbull and uh, Justin Marks, both of those guys um, on track house racing. He said, it just felt like home uh, once he got there and he's gotten all the, things that he's needed because you begin to question, can you really do it? He came from the Xfinity series, which they race on Saturday and real quickly, congratulations to Austin Hill. He won um, Sunday in Atlanta, well, Saturday in Atlanta Xfinity series. So he started off this season, two wins in a row at Daytona last year and now Atlanta. So Suarez was saying, yeah, when you're in Xfinity series and you know, you kind of, dominating so somewhat you've won a championship you win a lot of races you figure okay i can go up to the next level and do that kind of like a college to pro so you're dominating college and you figure okay when i get to the pros i'm going to do just as good i may not you know so let's say i won seven races okay i'll probably win three or four that is not the case because <laughs> according to him, the talent, you, you, you got the best of the best. Yeah. You literally have the best of the best and it is extremely hard to win. And when you get to that level, it can be discouraging because you're not winning. You're so used to winning in the proverbial college, you know, arena to now you're in the professionals it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it, it's something you see, like, in the... It's something you see in, like, the NFL all the time. Like, mm-hmm. okay, on the college level, oh, he was the fastest guy. Well, in the NFL, <laughs> everybody's fast. <laughs> so what else can you do? <laughs> exactly. But uh, once again, congratulations to... Daniel Suarez on winning Atlanta Motor Speedway. His uh, teammate, Ross Chastain, the number one driver once he won, he pulled his car around uh, and congratulated him. Bubba Wallace uh, got out of his car, walked over to him, gave him a hug. It's You could tell that guys genuinely like him. Uh, there are some drivers who shall not be named, Kyle Busch, that... Uh, <laughs> Some guys have a problem with it because, you know, it, it can get chippy. Uh, Ross Chastain has kind of started to get that a little bit to where guys are, you know, if you're a teammate, you like them. If you don't, yeah, because of how they race. Sometimes they race hard. Sometimes you, you know, get into a little fender bender with some guys. And especially if it's the same guy's name coming up more than once, then, yeah, you're you're going to have that. But for Daniel Suarez not to have any enemies, at least yet, just shows the the character of who he is and why everyone was generally happy that he won. 
that's good to see. Yeah. So again, uh, next this coming week they'll be in Vegas, and they'll be out in Vegas for a couple weeks. I think it's Vegas and then Phoenix before they start making their way uh, back to the Midwest and the East Coast. Uh, let's go to the NBA, and we're going to stay in Atlanta for a second. The Atlanta Hawks have announced that Trey Young will be out four weeks to be reevaluated. He had surgery on his, um, and I wanted to <laughs> say it exactly how they say it because it was hilarious to me. Uh, <laughs> his fifth finger, his left hand, his fifth finger. Um, he heard it during Friday's game. Uh, he had an MRI done the other day, and it, and here's the quote: "The tear revealed, uh, the MRI, excuse me, revealed a tear of his RCL in the fifth finger of his left hand. He'll undergo surgery to repair the RCL on Tuesday, and will be reevaluated in four weeks." I have a problem with that statement. That What's your fifth finger? Say, they just couldn't say. He tore his <laughs> and his pinky. His pinky. Right. <laughs> it's What's his wrong pinky. with saying pinky? <laughs> because they know how it's going to come off. It's going to come off soft. As you can just wrap that up. <laughs> they made it worse. They made it worse by saying his fifth finger. Just say his pinky. Just say his pinky because, again, that makes it worse. If they just say his pinky, then there are people who are going to be like, oh, man, he's soft. He could suck it up and play with it. Mostly that'll be former players. Uh, of course, there'll be some fans who say that, but there'll be some guys who've played be like, no, you don't understand. You know, yeah, you, you might be shooting with your right, but if you're your left, your pinky is this. You know, there can be some type of rebuttal to what's said. But to make it sound like you're trying to minimize the blow and the damage makes it worse. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, when it, I look at it as, I, mean, I don't know why they didn't. If I hear torn ligament, it doesn't matter if the is this the pinky, is the knee, <laughs> you know, it's the elbow, like mm-hmm. torn ligament. They, something's torn it's in torn. there. Have torn things, you know, in our bodies like that. So, you know, it. I, I think it, it. I would take it as a. It's a serious injury, you know. But uh, yeah, they were trying to protect them. Um, you know, it's not like maybe people had thoughts of like because uh, I heard the story again recently about Ronnie Lott, uh, <laughs> where he in a game he um, either he he broke his broke his pinky or he he uh tore a ligament in the pinky and he didn't want to come out of the game so they said well okay well we can we can cut the pinky off we can cut it there and you can play he's like all right do it cut cut it <laughs> <laughs> and they did that and he went back in the game or he he played the next game or, or whatever right um you know, some some people have that kind of mentality, but it doesn't it doesn't have to be like that, y'all. It don't it doesn't. Have to be like that. <laughs> oh, why not just ah? Oh, that irked me to no end. It is it's similar to when you would get in trouble 
with your mom or dad or your parents, either one, and they ask you a question and they already know the answer and you make it worse by lying about it. It's like, <laughs> why are you making it worse? They're like, hey, did you break this? Break? What do you mean break? What are we t- like? It, you already know. Don't make it worse. I felt like by doing this, they made it worse. It's something that Trey shouldn't have to go through to, you know, now defend, you know, what type of player he is. Because, again, they're going to see it like, oh, it's just a pinky. You can suck it up and play. Uh, Friday night's game in which they lost, it was to the Raptors 123 to 121. A fairly close game throughout. Uh, both teams, I think, had leads of at least. I know the Raptors went up by like 16. The Hawks, I think, had at one point a, a eight or nine point lead, but the Raptors eventually pulled the game out behind uh, All Star Scotty Barnes and quickly. Uh, they had 20 and 24, respectively. But then uh, Atlanta bounced back without them. Uh, last night by winning 109-92 against the Orlando Magic. Now, the Magic didn't have Banchero, of course, but still, that was a solid win knowing the day of that he wasn't going to play. So what do you see for the Hawks' future going forward without him for at least, we'll say four weeks. He's going to be reevaluating four weeks. They probably will play, take another week before he plays again. So we're talking at least five weeks from now. Which would be the, what did we say, second week of April? Yeah, now we're talking about like the last few games of the season. Right, um, last, what, we'll say so. five games? Yeah. Or five or six, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, they're three and a half up uh, for the last play-in spot. But I think they do have enough to um, to stay afloat without him. I think they're going to have to, of course, they're going to be leaning more on DeJounte Murray to be their primary playmaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now that, you know, DeAndre Hunter is coming back, he's had a a few good games coming off the bench. Um, You know, some, some others will have to pick up the scoring load, um, you know, along with Murray and uh, Murray will, it's going to be more, excuse me, more of a load on him to also be uh, to make plays for others uh, because there really isn't that other guy. Uh, it's, it's him and Trey. And so without Trey, then you don't really have that other guy who can set up others. So um, it's going to be more on him in that regard. But mm-hmm. I think um, they can stay afloat with, without him. You know, it's going to be the guys have to um, – going to start making some shots. Um, so um, it's going to, it's going to be tough, but uh, I think, I think it can happen, but it's just going to be a lot on Murray. So hopefully he doesn't get, he doesn't miss, uh, he doesn't get hurt either. Cause otherwise I, then they're, I think they're done because they don't even actually have another point guard uh, on the roster. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that they'll be fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think they'll be fine because I don't think the, it's sad to say, I don't think the expectations with Trey are a top six playoff team. 
So as long as, to your point, they're three and a half up from the final spot in the play-in. As long as they stay a play-in team, then they're fine. Yeah. Um, maybe they're looking only- at the schedule. It's trying is maybe they're two back of of the nine seed with, uh, with the Bulls, maybe trying to get up to nine. So then they'll at least host that play in. Host the play in. Okay, uh, I, I'll give you that. Catching Orlando or Miami, being six and a half back. No, that's a lot to ask for. Um, but I think they have a yeah they have enough of a cushion right now to where if they can just. Um, Stay afloat, even if they play five hundred, play five hundred uh, without them, they'll still be there. They'll still be in the picture, so it's possible, right? And I think they have what is it, twenty some games left, twenty six games left, um, twenty five games. They have twenty five games left. Okay, yeah, with that. Uh, they're right there. And for them, being 500 is good because that's a guaranteed play-in with a chance of making the playoffs. Then next, okay, so if they play 20 games, we'll say the last five, he's back. So for the next 20 games, if they can go 10 and 10, they're Okay. If they can just stay exactly where they are. What was the graphic that was shown that over the last 1,500 games, they're exactly 750 and 750. <laughs> so they are right there at being 500. And that, that should be enough for the play-in. So let's let's take a quick look. Uh, they have Utah coming in tomorrow. They win that game? Um, we got to get 10 wins. Is that a win? I'd say yes. Okay. Then they go to Brooklyn Thursday. Uh, yeah, they got two. They're, they got, they're in Brooklyn for two games. I for think two they, games. I think they split those games. They, they split. They get one, so that's two. Then uh, they stay in New York and play the Knicks. I don't see that. I think one. that's a loss. I think that's a loss. Then the Cavs come in town, who are, what, the second seed right now and playing extremely well. That's a loss. That's a loss. Okay, so we still stuck at two wins. Then they go to Memphis, who has nobody. That should be a win. So that I, could I, be a win. So that should be a win. So I'm gonna okay, so we'll give them one. That's three. Then the Pelicans come in town on March the 10th. That's a Sunday. Mm. I don't think so. I, I want to give them a win there because the Pelicans, they – they they play. Uh, they play with their food. Yeah, like they play <laughs> the other night, and it seemed like they like they put Caruso on Zion, and it worked somehow. Like that's not. The <laughs> <laughs> that's why Stephen A was talking about Zion, and did you see the Pelicans' uh, social media account? <laughs> they went after Stephen A. <laughs> They should get a raise. Whoever did that should get a raise. I'm I'm all for the pettiness when it comes to so it's supposed to be fun and lighthearted, you know. And you know, you here's the thing, Stephen. They poke fun at their player, then you respond. Now, if it's unprovoked, I get it. 
But it's only so many times you can keep talking about one of our players before we respond, you know, in a petty way, showing him slip and fall at the All-Star, his bad shots, him throwing out the baseball and it going errant. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I enjoyed that. What's funny about that, anytime anyone brings that up, oh, he only averaged 1.5 points a game, he always responds with, well, it was actually zero because right. I didn't play that year. Right. <laughs> he did so, like, y'all should they should use that. Like, he averaged right. zero. <laughs> use that and you'll come back, you know. Right. Uh, but it's that I mean, there's always going to be concerns about Zion if, if because something is, and I think we, we've had this conversation before that there's an expectation of, well, not, not an expectation, but uh, I've talked about this with some other people. The next face of the league after LeBron, the NBA is not really prepared for. Mm-hmm. They're not prepared for that next guy. And we've always had like that one guy, at least one guy going back to the beginning. You know, at first it was, it was George Mikan, and then it was Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. Chamberlain, then and Kareem. It Kareem, and right. then it was Bird and Magic, then it was Jordan, then it was Kobe, and then it's LeBron. And it's been LeBron for 21 years now. Right. Who's the next guy? Anthony and Edwards. It can, He's the next guy. Of, there are a lot of nominees, but. And what I mean with the next guy is that next American player. Right. That's why I say Anthony. Right. right. There's Jokic and Giannis. And then Giannis. Yeah. It's the next American America. player. Yeah. We want it to be Zion. We want it to be Ja. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of want it to be Tatum, but then we can't take him can't seriously. Take right. So It's now, Anthony Edwards. It's Anthony Edwards, but mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards is – this close to getting treated like Lamar Jackson in which there is this talent, but now he's going to be unfairly scrutinized and he's going to be criticized for his, for anything he does off the court. Like, okay, yeah, he's young. He's going to eat Popeye's before the game. As he gets older, he's going to eat better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Game, but yes, he he's going to get criticized for something like that, or 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 or, or how he talks, mm-hmm. or you know the people he hangs out with. So I think he he may he's going to get treated like that, and I think it's it's not necessarily fair. I don't think it's fair to Lamar Jackson either. But he's a he's we we need to look at him as being the guy to be the face of the league. He is because he's embracing it. Right now, he understands everything that comes with it, right or wrong. Like you say, he understands that everything he does is going to be scrutinized, even with the whole throwing of the chair incident when all he did was knock it out of the way. You know how that got blown up because it's him. He gets it. I think for him, it's got to translate into wins. It's got to translate into being in the finals. Because that's when you that's when they take you from all star to 
superstar to the guy. And yeah. right now he right now he's 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 above all star because he's made it. He's almost at superstar. If they continue to keep pace and let's say they make the conference finals and he plays well despite what happens with the team. And you can see like them being a team that can continually make runs at championships. Then he moves into that guy. And now he becomes the one of the faces, American born faces, because like you say, right now is Giannis, Luca, and Jokic as the faces. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they're not ready to give them that yet because they would rather have an American-born player. Now, yes, they are trying to glow, uh, grow. Excuse me, the game globally. They want it to be that way, but for it to be the face, they would prefer an American-born player. And right now, the <clears throat> um. I think Minnesota is right now the they're what Memphis was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Memphis was the two seed. Yeah. But no one was really looking at them as a championship contender just because it's like, okay, they're really young and they're really immature. And if they have the wrong matchup in the playoffs, they'll be bounced. It's going to show. And they ran into the Lakers, who are on average a lot older and a lot and very experienced. So Memphis has lost they lost to the Lakers and the year before they lost to the Warriors. They lost to veteran teams in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what Minnesota may go through and possibly Oklahoma as well. That's why yeah. I say right now, like I'm looking at Denver and the Clippers as those are the are my first two choices for anyone to make the finals. Uh, right. Just they, they have the veterans and um, the coaching. They have they have the coaching. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have the coaching to get there, and the and the experience. The experience. At least at least like within their players, they have guys who have that playoff experience. Uh, the playoffs are totally different from the regular season. You can play a team tomorrow and then play another team in two days and then another team after back to back and win those games because you're seeing a different team each time. When it's a potential seven game series that comes down to, to coaching and can the players with the experience make the adjustments during the game? This was said by like in a, in a seven game series by game three, I know exactly. I know exactly. <laughs> right. I know everything you're doing. Right. So, <laughs> and can, if you, and the the best coaches make a tiny adjustment mm-hmm. that you aren't ready for. For yep. So, yeah, that's that's why that's why the playoffs is looked at as a at a like a it's a it's a different season. It's a different. It's a totally season. different. Right. All right. So looking back at the Hawks, we got so far through seven games. We got three and seven. Uh, they got the Trailblazers after that up in Portland. That that should be a win. Okay, but, we're at four. Um, <laughs> but but don't don't do but. You said that's a win. Yeah, I'm gonna give them a win. They, they okay. Should, I, I'm like, 
on I'm 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 just going by on paper right now. Roster roster, <laughs> they should win that game. <laughs> okay, so four and eight. Then they play uh, Utah at home. They'll lose that game. They'll lose that game. Four and nine. Then they got the Clippers out in L.A. They'll lose that one. Oh, then they play the Lakers down the back to back. They'll lose that one too. That, that'll That's be four. a loss. Uh, was that a weekend? That's a lost weekend. <laughs> That's a lost weekend. <laughs> <laughs> then they got Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix is another one of those teams that play too much. So, so we give them one. We give them one. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's five. Uh, then they come home and got the Hornets. That's a win. That's a win. That's a win. Then they have the Celtics. Um, they got the Celtics, Portland, and then the Celtics. All of those at home. So I give them a split. Yeah. Okay. Those against the Celtics. Okay, so give them the Trailblazers too. Yeah, I'll give them a little winning streak. Okay, so seven. Uh, then they got the Bucks at home. Um, now you, mm-hmm. yeah. The way that they've played, they have the the Hawks have a chance. So, <laughs> but I okay, think that's eight. Like we're looking at a month from now. Um. I say the I, I I think that's a loss for the Hawks. Yeah. Okay, uh, then they go to Chicago for the Bulls. Uh, I say a win. I, I want to say a win. A win. But well, on the road. On the road. I, you know, I'm gonna say a loss. I'm gonna say a loss on that one. A loss on that one. So by that announcement, they should be announcing uh, trades evaluation. That's April the first. So he should be evaluated and determine when he's coming back. So he probably will not play against the Pistons at home on April 3rd. That's a win. And he will probably play April 4th in Dallas against Luka for, you know, for TV and to get back. So that's nine wins. That's a nine and 11 over the next 20 games. So, you know what? I, I said ten and ten, but nine and eleven, considering that road stretch out west, that's not bad. Yeah, that I mean, it's a they got a that five game road trip. Uh, if they can get out of there with three wins, I think I gave them two. Gave them two. So that's the Portland, Utah, both LA's and the Suns. That yeah. was five games. If they can get two, yeah, yeah, three. That's three, a good trip. Three. Three would three would be amazing, right? <laughs> but, but they got to at least get two, at least two, at least at two. least two. Yeah, at this point, you got to beat the teams that either you're somewhat close as far as not only just talent but record. You you have to win those those games. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I was talked about the alluded to the Suns and the Lakers game when talking about how uh, NASCAR in Atlanta took over on social media and was trending. Uh, the um, before that particular game was it that game when KD got into it with the fans who called him out by 
a name and did try to, you know, hey, you know. Yeah, trying to shake his hand. Right. <laughs> really? Shake your hand now? For real? At, right, right. Is there a way to control that with fans? Uh, we've seen players such as LeBron and others, uh, Westbrook have fans kicked out. Is it going to continue to take that for fans to realize that it's one thing to cheer on your team, talk against another, but there are certain words that you can't use or you will be kicked out? Yeah. Um, I think there you have to uh, keep in mind what, what would cross the line if – certain things will cross the line. And, you know, if it's, you know, talk of, you know, you know, that was a bad shot or, you know, you, you know, you're trash, but if you, you suck. Start, <laughs> start calling people out of their name. Mm-hmm. That's where you cross the line. And, you know, some people think that some players are, are, are too sensitive to what fans say. Um, but some fans will, will push that boundary and some fans will cross the line. So, you know, if like when LeBron had that fan kicked out, when they played the Pacers, right. They said what, what it was reported that they said, <laughs> and look, that's that you cross the line. Right. You know, um, if, uh, you know, the interaction that, Russell Westbrook, anytime he goes to Utah, apparently there's an issue. <laughs> or if he goes to Philadelphia, <laughs> there's an issue. Exactly. Uh, and fans will cross the line. So, um, you know, I, I think that it was interesting that he didn't want those fans kicked out. And uh, basically, like having them like sit in that. Uh, sit in that moment of you could have been kicked out for what you did. And now it's like kind of like making them think about it. I don't know if that's going to change anything long term, but that it was like an mm-hmm. interesting perspective that he had about it. You know, yeah, these people paid their, paid their hard earned money for these seats, but it, while it still doesn't entitle you to just say whatever you want to these players, um, just keep in mind that, you know, this is, you're not, you're not really entitled to anything. You don't have a right to anything. You know, a lot of fans like to say, well, I pay your salary. No, you don't. Right. Yeah. TV does. TV deals do. <laughs> TV deals do. and the billion- Well, technically. Okay. So in some respects, the fans do, because if the fans stop showing up for the games, then, you can't market. So indirectly, they do. However, that's still a slippery slope on what you're allowed to say and what you're not. Every NBA arena has a message that comes up on the screen that says, if you are saying, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, terminology, abusive words or whatever words, you know, you can be escorted out. But of course, everybody doesn't pay attention to that. <laughs> it's the whole if you see something, say something scenario. 
but even if you know there is some whatever the connection would be between a player's salary and and the fans being at the games it doesn't it still doesn't entitle you to talk to me any kind of way right um you know and some some fans feel like they have that right to say whatever they want i mean and it and it and then people are going to confuse the whole free speech thing where like it, it's it's free speech. Well, I pay for my ticket. I spent good money on this seat. And people that like still don't understand what free speech means. It means you can say whatever you want, and the government can't come after you. Not that there are no consequences in any situation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some I mean, some fans feel like they have that. Uh, entitlement to to say whatever to a player uh, just because they pay to be there, and that just that's just not how it is. I mean, you know, the not said like just well, athletes are people too; they are, but they would still, you know, expect to be treated like uh, uh, treated like a human being, right? Talk to like a human being, uh, so. Um, like I said, it was interesting that Kevin Durant had that kind of his perspective and not having them kicked out. But I don't know right. if that's going to that's not going to change anything long term. In that moment, maybe it did that those fans were able to stay and watch the game. But you, you still, it still shows that like these fans will they will try to say anything and feel like they're on the team and contributing. Like, oh, it's right, got him to, to miss a shot because he was thinking about what I said. You know, when you right. <laughs> oh, I get it. Uh, so in the Eastern Conference, Boston currently leads 45 and 12. Cleveland uh, second at 37 and 19, followed by the Bucks, a game behind them at 37 and 21. Knicks 34-23. Philly, of course, without Embiid, hanging on to the fifth spot at 33 and 24. Indiana rounds out the playoff teams at 33 and 25. Then the play-in teams follow with Miami at 31 and 25, the Magic 32 and 26, as we mentioned, Bulls and Hawks are 9 and 10. On the eastern side, Minnesota and Oklahoma City Thunder, both 40 and 17. Uh, third is Denver at 39 and 19. Clippers are 37 and 19 and fourth. Sacramento 33 and 23. And the Suns that we just talked about hold the final uh, guaranteed playoff spot in six at 34 and 24, tied with the Pelicans at seven. Dallas is 33 and 24. The Lakers and Golden State are 9 and 10. Uh, looking at the Lakers, uh, it was mentioned that LeBron's son, Bronny, is now projected to be in the lottery for the 29th, I mean, 2025 uh, lottery instead of 2024. You okay with that? I thought that's what it was going to be. Like, I did not see him coming out this year. Definitely not a lottery pick this year. If he was going to be drafted, it would have been, you know, end of the second round. And the reason why I would say that is the production's not necessarily there. You know, the um, he's not the, the best player on the team. And it doesn't seem like his role is even clearly defined. Like when he comes in, is he coming in to shoot? Is he coming in to be a defensive stopper? 
Is he supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, a facilitator? It's like it it's never clear. So um I think another year where his role is clearly defined, where does he actually fit in uh with this team? Or does he transfer and he may have to start this process of of, of acclimating to a program all over again? Um but we have the we need to see what he does best, and so that would give us an indication of what kind of player he would be in the NBA. Uh, don't don't I, I wish people didn't try to like force that on him. Uh-huh. Where okay, yeah, we, LeBron wants to play with his son, but it's not going to be as fast as you want it to be. It's just not going to happen that way. He wants to play with his other son too, so Bryce. <laughs> um, who knows if if uh, if Bryce is even that good to be a one and done player at best? I think uh, Bronny needs to just to continue to develop and work on his game, and then have a clearly defined role on his team next year. Let him enjoy college. There is no hurry for him to go to the NBA. There really isn't. I mean, unless, unlike, like, unless, like, it's it, it's so imperative that he play with his dad. And I really don't think that's while while it's a goal, while it's a possibility. If it doesn't happen, like it just it doesn't happen. Right. We've seen it in baseball three times. Maybe, yeah, two or three times. <laughs> and it's it's so rare that it's like, it's not, it's not a, just to have a son to get to the NBA is an accomplishment in itself. And then just trying to, and I think people just want it to make it something else that he could have over Jordan. Well, Jordan's sons didn't even barely didn't play <laughs> level. So uh, he got a son in the NBA. So that makes him a better player because he had a son play. Like it, people are just trying to make it like this very weird, uh, illogical argument. Right. <laughs> and uh, at the expense of, you know, Bronnie not actually developing as a player. And the thing is, like, we there's ex- always this expectation that, uh, you know, if a if a player stays in college for more than one year, then something's wrong. Some guys still have to develop. They still develop as players. The adjustment from high school to college and college to the NBA there there's an adjustment. There's a style of play adjustment. There's a there's a rules adjustment spacing I mean, there's they're different games they're related but they're different so man just let brownie develop as a player so want people to do that just let him develop and him like then maybe next year he, he'll be ready so I went back and looked and lebron has deleted his tweet which red flag number one I thought the whole thing was standing on business, but apparently that's not the case when it comes to LeBron. (laughs) He might stand on other things, but it's definitely not business. As mentioned, ESPN had their mock draft for 2024, and they didn't have Bronny on it. 
as you mentioned, you know, about him at USC and, you know, what's his role? Who does he come in for? He is currently averaging 5.5 points a game, 2.8 rebounds, 2.5 assists, and 20 minutes a game. Uh, he's played in 19 games for USC. They're 11 and 16. That goes to show that he's not ready to be a first round. Now, does he have the the IQ, the skills and everything? It's possible. It's possible. But you have to be that guy. Again, we're going back like we're talking about NASCAR from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series. It's a huge jump as far as talent is concerned. Bronny has to be averaging 16, 17 points a game. He has to be averaging seven rebounds, seven assists for him to be considered a first round pick in 2024 this coming year for this upcoming draft. He's not even close to that. He's averaging uh, the Collins twins brothers type numbers for their career. You know, <laughs> that's not going to cut it when you're talking about first round. That's not even solid enough to be second round. It would be one thing if he was averaging, if they were still 11 and 16, but he's averaging 28 and 9. It's like, okay, well, it's not his fault. He's getting the guys involved. He's scoring. He's doing everything. They're just not winning games. But that's not the case. The other thing, and this is what I really hope for, the cardiac, you know, heart conditions he's having is nothing to play around with. I'm sure he has access to the, you know, the best doctors in the world, which is great. It'd be good for him to play another year in college to make sure that, okay, that this doesn't happen. One in the NBA two playing with your father. Don't wish this on anybody, but we can't have another Hank gathers type situation with a father and son on the court in this situation. You don't want it at all, but especially when it comes to, you know, how close LeBron is with his kids. Don't want to see that take place, but he has to start playing better. And maybe that he is due to that. Maybe he's not, you know, going all out, exerting the kind of effort, you know, maybe he is holding back a little bit because of the condition. I'm not sure, you know, I can accept that if it is, and hopefully by next year he picks up and he gets better. But for 2025 in ESPN's mock draft, they don't even have him first round then. They got him 39th at the second round. Now, LeBron, of course, deleted the tweet when he said, can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and the results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works earned, not given. And then he had followed it up saying the same for any other guys that, hey, just put in the hard work. Don't worry about mock drafts, whatever, whatever. Well, a lot of I know why he deleted that, because when they had LeBron ranked 17 coming to the Hawks, he put it out there like, oh, Atlanta, you know, he made a reference to it of, hey, Hey, that 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 tweet also. No, he didn't leave. Exactly. That's my point. You can't have it both ways, LeBron. You can't be like, oh, they got him 17. Hey, I love Atlanta. We could be there, you know, throwing it out there in, in jest, but then get mad 
when they got him as a second round in 2025. It, it, it doesn't work that way. You know what I'm saying? It's, and he's the same one, if I'm correct, that said not too long ago that his son could play now based on the players in the NBA that he's playing with. The Lakers right now. like just... I, Again, again, I love the admiration as a father. I get it. I get it. You're proud of your son. No problem with that. But you got you got to keep that tweet up, just like you kept it up with you know. Look at the the guys on our team. He could play right now. Okay, that's the problem. So yeah, that's why he deleted because he knew he was dead wrong. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying trying to have it both ways. Um, trying to. And a lot of people take this as like like people like hating LeBron when they call things out like that. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. But for him to do something like that and coming off the heels of he was being asked about a farewell tour and say that he's 50-50. 50-50. <laughs> Are you serious? Like I, I don't handle praise very well. Come really? On, Come on, man. Just... Just stop. But here's my thing. Here's my thing. As a father, I don't have a problem with what he tweeted out earlier. Yes, let the kid just play ball. Don't worry about no mock draft. He didn't say anything wrong. Like, accept it. It's okay. And and thing, things change. Like, okay. Right. When it came out like he was, you know, a mid-first round pick, that's how it looked at the time. At the time. But things change. And so just like next year, if he's projected – second round, he could play his way into into the first. So think right. But you know, some people try to keep like whatever was said, that's what that that's what it is for all time. And that that's how he That doesn't work. That how that's how he's treating it. And yeah, it just doesn't work like that. So I mean it could if he it was okay, just let him develop. Yeah. It's fine. That's what needs to happen. That was right. Play with that, right? It he should have just left well enough alone. He's doing what the Hawks did about the fifth finger and the pinky. Just like you make it worse, you made it worse. He made it worse by deleting it. Just let it be up there and be like, yeah, he doesn't need to worry about draft and his draft stack and his stocks. Just like any of the other players, leave that part up too. Y'all just continue to work hard, let the chips fall where they may, and not and not to do. You don't want to force this, uh, force this story, this narrative. That mm-hmm. uh, okay, yeah, it is a goal. It's a dream to to play with mm-hmm. your son, and you'll play wherever he gets drafted. That's fine. To have that goal, to have that dream. And it's also okay if it doesn't work out that way, right? <laughs> that's all. That's that's fine. And I think some people would say like, okay, have the comparison to with like with Jordan's son. That's something he never said. He never said anything about wanting to uh, play with his sons. Even <laughs> I think he'd already been retired for like four or five years by the time they got to college. But uh, you don't have to. It, it's fine to want something 
And, but it's also, you know, the possibility of something not working out. You just have to keep that in mind with something like this, because a lot of things have to fall into place, um, you know, in, in, in different ways. So it, if you end up playing together, great, but it just might not be in the, in the, it might not be the path that you think it's going to be. Right. So, and that's okay. That's okay. And, and people don't give like college athletes, college basketball players, like the, the grace to develop as players. You know, every year we see that these players go to these top programs and then they enter the draft and we don't know really anything about them. And then if they struggle just the slightest bit out of the gate, then we're ready to throw them away. And while at the same time we see uh, mid-major schools make deep runs in the NCAA tournament because they have juniors and seniors that have been playing together for two and three years and, and they, they understand how to play together. And while these one and done guys are struggling to buy into a system or uh, buy into a coach for a few months, you know, that's what makes something, some, a program like Kentucky so incredible what they accomplished um, to where they could be a, a, they're a top 25 or a top 10 team almost every year. And they have a different team every single year. And there may be guys that don't average, you know, 16 to 18 points a game on Kentucky. They may average 10 or 11, but there's so much talent that jumps off the screen when you watch them. That's how those guys get drafted high. It's not, that doesn't happen at every school like that. So the guy who averages five points a game, yeah, he could be a first round pick because, because, you know, a few games he did score 20. But they're also right. games. They're so the, the the there's a lot of talent on those teams. That doesn't. Um, but the guy who's averaging five points a game on the eleven and sixteen team, no, he ain't getting drafted. We're not looking. Right. The we need more production uh, from from that guy. So that may take another year. But there's like I said, there's been this notion that having that. Uh, you know, someone who stays in school for a, a second year. So oh, yeah. wrong. Like, why isn't, no. he out? why isn't he coming into the draft at age 19? He's waiting until he's 20? <laughs> oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> but you get a better product, and that's what we've gotten away from. Because these guys, okay. It starts with AAU, right? Are you really teaching guys how to play the game, or are you just putting together the best roster to win, to market, to look good, to win championships, to get the apparel, to get the backing? You know what I'm saying? So that you have the relationship with the college coaches to where they're like, hey, you know, I need a point guard and a wing. Okay, well, you can go to, you know, the Celtics in Atlanta, and they they got two guys. Or you can go, uh, there's a team in Texas that, you know, I, I need to go and, you know, get a guys because that's where these relationships are, are being done and where you can get the next college player from. So they miss a step in development at that point. Now you get the college. If you're only there a year, that's not enough time to develop a guy. 
you know, he's coming in with talent and all you can do is try to maximize that talent. But there isn't enough time to teach him how to play the game, how to play the position he's at, how to make his teammates better, how to play with them because he's gone. And then when he gets to the NBA, they don't practice. They have shoot arounds, they have walkthroughs, but as far as real practice, they've tried to minimize that in the collective bargaining agreement. And especially older teams, they don't practice. <laughs> They're trying to get rest. They're trying to get, you know, treatment and stuff. They're... So you're missing the development each and every step along the way. That's why we see, you know, there that, that clip of with Gino Ariema talking about like how players coming over from uh, how foreign players are coming into the league. And it seems like they're more ready because they have mm-hmm. the reverse approach where and um, they practice five or six times mm-hmm. before one game to play one game. Right. While in the in America, it's five or six games and one practice. one front practice. Right. Um, and, you know, that's why we see uh, the the post play is gone for the most part non-existent because, gone uh for people for guys who play who are playing on the AAU circuit they're playing multiple they don't play. a day and right. a post game takes time to develop and that time isn't being taken that is so a- who plays in the post uh Jokic <laughs> and Embiid <laughs> two guys that came from outside of America and they they developed those skills while and then and then came into the league and then at, but also at the same time someone like the last like someone like Jalil Okafor who was uh, an incredible player in the post that's looked at as outdated because oh yeah that's ancient history now well you don't shoot threes. I, never, I am seven feet tall. I have never right. shoot three <laughs> the basket. Right. My drop step, jump hook. I'm an efficient player. <laughs> and now you want me to step out here and shoot threes, which I have never been asked to do. Right. <laughs> the NBA game has changed, and it and uh, of course Steph has led the charge in the three point shot. And then other players following suit, as you mentioned, even up to, you know, it. it's funny to see a, a seven foot 12, and I say that in jest, Wimby, uh, on highlights, driven between his legs with a step back three. You know, <laughs> that would have never been seen. That you, If a big guy did that, we'll say 10 years ago, he'd immediately be on the bench. Like without any question, I don't care who the coach was. You you coming to sit down if you're going to pull a shot like that off? Now it's encouraged, and because there is no development along the way, this is what it's become when it comes to players that play here in the states as opposed to players who start overseas and then come to the U.S. and play. And then you're seeing guys who they get here, and now it's like. I have to just to stay in the league. Now I have to start working on looking adjusting at Kongu, my game. Look at a Kongu with the Hawks. He's step he's, now. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, and before that, John Collins, he, he, he did not shoot threes until he came into the NBA where right. like now these guys do it just so they can stay on the roster, just so they can be in the rotation right. they have to add this because that's, that's just how the game is played. Well, why does it have to be played this way? Like what's wrong yeah. with playing, you know, a traditional back to the basket or even face up mid range, like all this stuff is being discour- discouraged because of, because of, because it's a copycat league. And it, it, it's a it copycat league. Hurt the development. It's definitely hurt the yeah. development so that we see guys coming from other countries come in and they're more ready because they worked on these. They worked on these skills for their position. Right. And so they're, they, the adjustment's easier. Right. Uh, one bit of news before we leave the NBA. Uh, Jimmy Butler, the Heat, and Pelagations, Najee Marshall, both have been suspended a game without pay. Suspended one game without pay for instigating an a on-court altercation when the Heat won 106-95 uh, a couple of days ago uh, in New Orleans. And that wasn't the only incident, as a matter of fact. Wasn't it Jose? Uh, Jose. Oh, Thomas Bryant. Yeah, Jose I mean, Alvarado. Thomas Bryant got three games. Everybody's trying to throw hands, huh? Because he uh, he left the um, he got he got into he left the bench, right? And, and then you had um, Alvarado also he he left the bench too. Bench. So and then you had um, Mike Conley shot the three kind of toward the end of the game where um, Dennis Schroeder came over and shoved him. Um, I don't know what's taking place in the last week. I don't know. It must be something in the water, but apparently it's definitely something in the water in Atlanta, too, to make somebody think that they could try Cam Newton uh, at his 707. <laughs> To really think you could try this six foot five, 250 pound grown man. And think that you were just gonna manhandle him. I that 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 blows my mind. But it just goes to show the lack of respect for somebody who's taking time out of their schedule to uh, give back to the community. And then, of course, this isn't the first time that stuff like that has gone viral. And I think that that's what this situation like this is. People talk to Cam any kind of way, uh, and just think that oh, because it's Cam. I can get away with it. I can go viral, but it's, it's just a lack of respect. Well, yeah, it's definitely like the, um, cause I think it was, he got into it with either a coach of one of the teams cause they, he yeah. coaches the team too in this tournament. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it looked like it was just some normal, not outside your name, trash talk. Because <laughs> the one, because he was saying like, "Oh, I know that play. Oh, I created that play." Uh, you know, as far as like you know, watching the the other team. So right. Um, but yeah, it's. I think because of his because of his demeanor and, and how he how he's approached football. Everything is seen as what he's saying is always seen as disrespectful. So then right. people feel like they have to be disrespectful Respect back for the him. And it, but it's not like other, not just other coaches. It would be the kids. It would be the right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And 
there's no respect for um, not just him as a as a as a person and what he's put together and how he's spending his time. It's a respect for like the process of like, look, you want to get to the NFL. Here's mm-hmm. a guy who did it at the highest level and he knows what it takes to get there. But you're right. looking at it as, well, he ain't there now. So, <laughs> right. so like, what can he actually tell me? What can he actually teach me? Cause he ain't there now. And just like disrespecting the whole process of that and disrespecting like the work that people actually put in. Right. And, and then along with disrespecting, uh, you know, them spending their time to, right. to have something to have a, they have using their platform for you, for the community. To help you, to help you out. <laughs> and again, this is not someone who wasn't great. I mean, he took a 15 and one Charlotte team that had one receiver and I won't, and I'm using the word receiver loosely because it was a tight end and Greg Olson and an old line that wasn't that good. I mean, he went to a Super Bowl with his team and won an MVP. Like, <laughs> this is, a, uh, you know, a, a journeyman backup quarterback or somebody like that. So there is something that you could learn from him. So for them to disrespect him and even his time in coming at, he will probably still continue to do it because I don't, I don't think that he'll stop doing it, but he might be more cautious as about how long he continues to do this. You know what I'm saying? To, to yeah. give back. So, to, to, you know, kind of set the expectation of, I think, like these seven on seven tournaments appear to be very serious business. Oh yeah. 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 You know, to the point where, um, you know, we have, we have OTE, uh, here in Atlanta. Right. Um, that is now, now there's, Oh, it's called OT seven. So it's seven on seven, seven, you know, through, through overtime, overtime elite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so people look at that as like, while it is competition, it's not, it's not what you're going to be doing if you plan to play on the college or, or NFL level. It's not the same game. Right. But people treat it like it is. And while it's good, you know, training, especially for quarterbacks and receivers, you know, it's not, it's not the same game, but it's treated that way. Um, and then people try to, it's basically like, this is the closest that we'll get to, to the AAU circuit for football will be the yeah. seven, on seven tournaments. We'll be the seven on seven. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's, it's not the same game to me. And, but it's, it's just taken so seriously that it can, I think something something else might have been said, uh, you know, with, uh, as far as with that tournament that was just blown out of proportion. But I think the whole thing just do, it does come down to people just not respecting the process or right. what people do to get to a certain point. It is a lack of respect across the board to to everyone uh, for Cam and for the tournament itself. So hopefully. Hopefully that would change. Uh, let's stay in, in football for a second. 
someone has a new job, not the job we all expected, though. Uh, former offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is now the new offensive coordinator and associate head coach for UCLA. Not the NFL. UCLA. I, I don't know at this point what he's done. Because you can't say he doesn't interview well. At the end of the day, he knows X's and O's. He was a reason why uh, the Kansas City Chiefs had a couple of Super Bowls. Yeah, they won uh, without him, but he came and talked to the team leading up to it. So apparently his voice is still valued. His, the, the information that he provides, how he can motivate, there's still something there because there's no way in the world that Andy Reid would allow him to come in and speak, you know, and I guess in some form or fashion, maybe, you know, say, hey, coach, here's a couple of plays you might want to think of if they do this, do you know, that. How, and, and so one of the issues. I understand is all the head coaches jobs are, for, are filled by the time he was let go by the Washington commanders, but you can't tell me there wasn't a consulting position to have him around on any of the other 30 teams in the NFL to be, you know, something. And for him to not, not even get a head coaching job. I know for uh, some people, so, a friend of a show, uh, she's a coach at – she was an assistant coach at Alabama State in basketball. She took a job as a head coach at a high school because she wanted the title of head coach to eventually come back to college. Shout out, coach. Um, so I could understand him deciding to say, okay, there are no OC uh, positions in the NFL. I'll take a head coaching position, we'll say, at UCLA to have the title to show I can do this, you know, granted it's in a lower uh, as far as talent, but I can be a head coach. Let me, you know, we can dispel this rumor that I don't know how to be a head coach. And then I can come back and then, you know, maybe be a head coach in the NFL, but to take in a, the same position of <laughs> a OC and associate head coach that, I don't know what he's done to be blackballed like this out of the NFL. But it, it, this this is the biggest, I don't want to say fall from grace, but it, it's along that synonym of how do you fall this far down to where everybody was like, yeah, why is he a coach? Why isn't he a coach? Why isn't he a coach? To now you have to take an associate head coach offense coordinator job in college. It's it's definitely a mystery. It's a uh, you know because he he checks the boxes as far as the the accomplishments. Um, he's when a, as the offensive coordinator with Kansas City for five seasons, they made the AFC Championship five times. They went to three Super Bowls. They won two of them. Uh. Some people want to say, well, well, uh, it was Andy Reid calling the plays. 
the two previous offensive coordinators under Andy Reid became head coaches. Head coaches. Did not call plays. Matt Nagy right. did not call plays. Doug and he was terrible in Chicago. <laughs> so the two previous guys with Andy Reid did not call plays. So that shouldn't matter. But then he does get to call plays. Mm-hmm. And so they and then they win that second Super Bowl. I thought he was going to, uh, you know, we've seen coaches who were, they were coordinators for one year. They had one good year and then they become a head coach. Mm-hmm. I didn't think there was a rush for B enemy uh, to be a head coach only because, well, it, it doesn't always have to be like that. He can, he, maybe he's waiting. I thought, I felt like he was waiting for the right opportunity or he's waiting for Andy Reid to retire. Right. So some guys can, you can stay a coordinator for a while. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think it was very loud that people were saying, were did not want to give him credit for his contribution to two Super Bowls. So he felt he had to strike out on his own. He had to go out on his own. His own. But it may have been a bad choice to go to Washington because Ron Rivera is on the hot seat. <laughs> That's the mistake I feel like he may have made. Other than that, mm-hmm. nothing else really makes sense about why now it's come down to taking this job at UCLA, who really hasn't been uh, a good program, a good football program in because they're a really long time. Like they're a public school, they're a public school, and we'll get into this in a second. But yeah, they're a public school where USC is a private. But yeah, that's I mean, there's, there's one there's of the reasons there because he's from LA. Um, but other than that, there's really not um, for him to take this title, to, to take this job. I mean, it's something. I mean, it clearly he enjoys. He wants to coach. He enjoys. Yeah, coaching. right. Uh, and who? And then the, the personality thing doesn't make sense because if he's able to still have a connection to the Chiefs. Mm hmm. And the players, you know, the the their top players on the Chiefs, Kelsey and Mahomes show so much respect for him. It's right, exactly. Him and how much they they loved having him around, and they wish right. he could leave. That doesn't mean that that clear that somehow means nothing. <laughs> he has the respect <laughs> of the players he coached to two. Seasons. Right. Uh, that doesn't because that would have come out by now. If they didn't respect him, it would have come out by now. You would know. And you would know. Right, right. He's in Washington. It's like, oh, the the players are complaining that he's that he's coaching them too hard. Too hard, right. Too harsh, or he's being mean to them. And that and then that story went away before the first preseason game. We didn't hear anything else about how he treated the players for the rest of the season. It was just mostly a bad team. So right, and it, it's let's be honest. He's going to get blamed for that, right? Oh well, they didn't like Sam House still threw for like four thousand yards, I think. Yeah, like the he threw had for the, a lot of yards, but it's overall it was just a bad situation. That's why I feel it like was. The mate was going to that team. If it was another team, you know, may, a, a different situation where the the coach has a little more job security, then we probably but here's conversation. 
But here's the thing. Even with a bad team, as you mentioned, Sam Howell was top five in passing. So what does that say? That means that you're doing something right on a terrible team. I think that, of course, nobody's going to like their coach during the months of July and August. It's hot. It's spring training. You're fighting with your own. I mean, not spring training. It's uh, uh, training. Uh, you have the OTAs before that. You, they even fight against each other. You know, <laughs> it's just that everything is elevated. You're being coached hard. Okay, we get that. But after that, the games start. You play ball. They they had a, you know, Sam Howell is not a great quarterback, but he made him look good. I won't say great, but he made him look fairly good. That in itself should be enough. And like you're saying, the guys that are running the NFL right now and Mahomes and Kelsey haven't said anything bad. That would have come out. It, it would have been something said of, oh, they're just saying that. They don't really mean that. Like somebody else on the team would have come out with that story if they wanted to to make the enemy look bad as they already have tried to do when it comes to the media. I saw a story that said that he he chose to leave the commanders. Like, it, it's okay. You don't have to say that. You ain't got to say that. A new coach one of their own guys. They weren't going to keep you. That's okay. It, that, right. That's how it always goes. They, you weren't expected to stay on with a new head coach coming in. That's fine. Now, if you, like, chose to not try to keep your job, that would make more sense. But it would the 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 likelihood of you even staying in that situation uh, is very low. Damn. Um. It, it, so some people always should say like, "Oh, it's how he interviewed, it's how he coaches players." Uh, it's I don't know. It's it's always like trying to like it's, something out there. I think people are just throwing things out there, and there's no substance to any of it. Yeah. So that's why it's it like remains a mystery of why he is not like during this last coaching cycle, he wasn't even mentioned as a potential coach. As a potential coach. I mean, maybe looking at the success of his last job, but we're talking about one year of this versus five years previously. Yeah. You know, if, if he were interviewed by the Falcons, um, I think people would have been like, oh, we we need to hire him. You know, people would have been very excited about that. If it right. was Seahawks, people would have been very excited about that. I wanted him in Chicago. I wanted him in Chicago to either be paired with Justin Fields or if we take Caleb Williams or whoever as a quarterback. Like, that is the perfect scenario. And like people excited to, to bring him in because yeah. – we saw what happened with Mahomes, the right. creativity. We saw the success. Yep. We saw, uh, you know, we saw the, there was the great communication, you know, mm-hmm. it, it looked, he has the pedigree. So every, everything outside of because he's black, it does, it's not making, it's just not making sense. It's not adding up. So now right. for him to take this job, like, oh, is he going to – you're not supposed to go to college to stay there for a year. You're not supposed – Well – Like, he'll have to be there for a few years just to maybe even get another opportunity. 
And is it going to be enough? Will they be successful enough or will he even have the no. race to develop players where to where UCLA is even a decent program? And now that they're moving to the Big Ten, it's no. close to impossible because they've been a, a mid Pac-12 team. <laughs> and now you're going to the Big Ten and mid in the Big Ten at best right now. Right. Uh, speaking of which, the landscape in college football has officially changed. So the college football playoff committee has decided to go to 12 teams, which we knew was coming, but they're going to do the five out of the power conference who win the conference and then seven at large. I kept saying it's going to come down to basically a north, south, east, west. You're only going to have four divisions, as you mentioned, with uh, basically everybody out of the Pac-12 except for two teams joining the Big Ten. It's it's coming down to the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC. And, you know, we're still looking at Florida State as to what they want to do. But now with this, I don't know why uh, – Florida State just wouldn't stay in the ACC at this point because out of those uh, conference, the highest ranked conferences, the four of the highest ranked conferences will be seated one through four. They'll receive a first round by and then five plays 12, six, 11, uh, seven, 10, and eight plays nine. It's it's money. Florida oh, State, yeah, yeah. Florida State is tired of having to share equally with the Wake Forest mm-hmm. <laughs> or the of the conference, they're they're tired of doing that, and um, or they feel like there should be more coming. Like really, since Florida State came to the ACC, I think that was like ninety two, ninety three. Mm. Um, they have carried the conference the entire time. Uh, even if with the few bad years that they yeah. had, they were still they still the draw they're still the draw draw of the conference. Now Clemson has had a great run over the last ten years, um, but the but I think the I'm a Florida State fan, but I'm going I blame Miami for this. I blame Miami for not holding up their end because <laughs> into the ACC after winning that national championship. And they, they did just, nothing since. They just made the conference championship game like two years ago for the first right. time. <laughs> so they did not hold up their end. And uh, the other and other schools, like, you know, every now and then one of the other schools, maybe they make a run or something like that. But it just, that just hasn't been the case. It's been like Florida State and Clemson. And then once Louisville, once Pitt, once uh, Wake Forest won the ACC once. So there's it's been them like kind of carrying it while compared to the SEC where it could be it's Alabama or Georgia or Auburn mm-hmm. or Florida or LSU. It could be any of those schools uh, to um, kind of step in and 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 be the be the conference championship or the the kind of be the 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 star of the conference or to carry the conference. But uh, this is finished. This is going to change because there is no limit to the number of participants from a conference that can be in these twelve. So 
when you have the 5, 12, 6, 11, 17, 8, 9, those uh, teams with a higher rank will play at home. And then the quarter and semifinals, those are, they're still going to use the uh, New Year's January 6 bowl games. And then, of course, the national championship will, will rotate. But with no limit on the number of participants from a conference, that favorite what that in Big Ten. Exactly. It's going to be the SEC and Big Ten. Out of the 12, they will get eight. It'll be a Notre Dame who will more likely go 11 and 1, 10 and 2. They'll get in because they'll be a draw. Um, it would include. With Notre Dame, though, the best they could be is five because they're not in the conference. Right. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but I'm saying out of the 12 total, they'll get in each year, even if they are 11 one year, they'll, they'll get in because of their schedule. They won't play anybody. They still play in Army, Navy, Air Force. <laughs> right. So you'll have that team. You'll have one from the ACC, which will probably be, uh, Florida State could be a Miami one year, uh, Who's recently North North Carolina's had a year one time. Duke once had a one a year, and it will be the Big Ten and SEC Invitational. But you can see where this is going again to where you're going to have to have it'll be only four conferences. You'll still probably have twelve. Now there's rumors that they're going to go from twelve to sixteen uh, in the playoff, which you know they're trying. I could see that happen. They're trying to sort that out. That could happen in the next. They're trying to sort the money out of it. It's good. That's the thing. If the money's there, then yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's the the money. Uh, Because then you also have to consider like, okay, the schedules of the, 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 with each conference, because now Mm. like the SEC have been talking about, okay, do we want to do eight games or a nine game conference schedule? And if we do that, then what's that going to mean for our non-conference schedule? We still need to get in our, our kind of our warmups. Right. <laughs> you know, we can have yeah. our, our kickoff classics at the beginning of the season. Yeah. <laughs> our tune-ups in November, you know, when we're playing, you know, one of these FCS schools or um, one of the uh, lower tier, you know, conference schools so we still we still need that right and uh but then you know if you go to 16 teams then you're talking about four games to win a championship you're talking about four games and are we talking about a 15 16 17 game season and what about like if players are getting if there are more games, then that can be more opportunities for these players to get hurt. What if we have a guy in the second round tear his ACL and he was projected as a top five pick? Oh, well, they already told you what they think about that. Under the, 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 the college football playoff model, this would have been the national championship game, which would be different. Or yeah. if it was under the BCS model, it would be the the bowl game, or it would. Oh, they don't care. They don't care. Otherwise, Florida State would have been in, right? They're not worried about injuries because if that was the case, Florida State would have been in. That's a that's going to be another part of it. Is Florida State didn't get in because of it's a this is a TV show. 
Right. <laughs> playoff is a TV show. So they looked at it as we want the playoff matchups that are going to bring people to watch the game. Right. So we put in Texas because they're a brand. They got their, their brand, we right? put in Alabama because. Because it was Nick Saban. It was Nick Saban's last year, too. Well, they won the SEC championship, and we can't leave them out. We put well, it's because, out because we done with Georgia. <laughs> they just did that, like we done with Georgia, because they they can. The thing is, like, there's no such thing as precedent with them. There's no such no thing because it's with right. Them. Just because they did it one way this year, that right, they're going to do it the same way the next year. Georgia was number one, lost, fell all the way to six. Right. That's never happened before. <laughs> like the okay. worst is four. You only go to four, right? Yeah, you don't fall all the what, oh, wait, one all the way out six. Or if like with the uh, the first year they had it, TCU was number three. Mm. Three, no, there was, uh, two. They were number three. Two. And, three. Uh, Florida State was number four. Baylor was five. Ohio State is six. TCU and Baylor in the Big 12, they didn't have the Big 12 championship game, but they were tied. So basically, if TCU won their last game, then they'd be the conference champion and they should keep their spot. Baylor, if they won and they and TCU lost, then they should move up. They both win. I think TCU won their game like 56 to three. They win the conference championship. They were number three. They dropped, but Ohio State was number six. They won the Big Ten. Ohio State moves up to number four. They moved TCU out <laughs> five or six. Baylor stayed at number five, I think, and Florida State moved up to three. So they a team won. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They won, and they still got moved out. That's why they called a selection committee, though. They're called a selection committee because they only select the teams they want to play. Ohio State is the bigger name than a TCU. So they get moved up and they're in a, they're in a, they, they like, well, they didn't have a conference championship game, but you had them in number three. They won and then you move them out. But it was just for, this was for TV purposes. And we're going to see even more of that going forward. But the only, the only thing is, once the tail teams are set, they're set. And then after that, you got to let the chips fall where they may. Now, will they possibly do some reseeding like they could with the star player being hurt? Could they now reseed? It's possible. We're going to see. But, but the teams are set at least. We're going we're gonna to see that with, with reseeding because, and they've said this, uh, it was the first or second year that they did it that they kind of start from scratch each week. Each week. Like a team could be number one, they win. Right. Like, uh, we're going to move them to the number We're going to move for the week. They would Because win. the other team had a quality win. Like, <laughs> yeah, they look at quality wins. Yeah. Like we, we're not supposed to look at margin of victory anymore, but they still but do. They do, but they do, right. They still do that. You know, and and then with this last year, we can they considered like, well, their star player got hurt, and they had to put in the second guy, and then he right. got hurt, so they had to put in the third guy. Like, okay, but they're still undefeated. Like, yeah, but we're gonna see that second guy. You know, we don't really know anybody. Like, that's your fault. 
Right. Uh, um, There was another big ruling in college um, over the weekend or then last week where uh, there was a preliminary injunction in Tennessee for Tennessee and Virginia in a lawsuit about NIL. So now this ruling will allow booster funded NIL collectives to communicate with high school recruits and transfer transfer portal players. The Wild Wild West is still going to be the Wild Wild West. Now, the NCAA obviously was trying to get a a handle on the NIL and who could be uh, talked to and who could be uh, persuaded to come to different universities based on the boosters and so forth, which we all know this has been going on since college football started. It's just the NCAA could kind of control things and uh, unfortunately had too much of demanding rules to where if you accepted a lunch, you know, you could be considered ineligible for a game or two or suspended. But now it's open, which I think is great for the players because that allows them the mobility to, you know, do what they've been doing just, you know, openly now. It's, I mean, basically the only rule, the only rule as far as NIL is that you can't use NIL deals as a recruiting point, basically. You can't say, hey, if you come here, we'll here this right. Lamborghini sponsorship. You can't do right. that. Right. But you could say, <laughs> we have players who have gotten sponsorships right. from Lamborghini. Right. Uh, and some other places. <laughs> Right. You can only say there are opportunities. Tunis, right. Specific. And, right. And uh, there was a, uh, they were trying to basically keep guys from uh, doing that for those who were in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So the injunction allows for <laughs> the guys in the transfer portal to make decisions based on what kind of deals they can get. And these guys are making real money. I know of a player in the state of Florida, so I won't say the university, who was making $10,000 a year as a DB. Ten, I mean $10,000 a month as a DB. And he wanted $50,000 or else he was going to hit the portal. He's still at this university in Florida. So what does that say? And is not a five-star player either. He would probably be considered a three-and-a-half, maybe four-star player making $10,000 a month. Imagine what the other guys are making, like you said, according to NIL and other types of deal. Like these guys are, are finally starting to see the money that they're making, that you know these universities have been making off of them for years and years and years at this point. And it's a good thing. I don't know why people are so upset because you can't tell me one person that wouldn't be out there putting their life on the line playing football who wouldn't want to be compensated fairly. The 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 players see the um the potential of you know of and they and they're seeing like you said you, they see how much money the school is making off of them. And it and it's funny that it seems like the only people who want the players to have any money 
are the boosters. <laughs> because the boosters, well, they have to write it off. They have to write that stuff off. Boosters can write that stuff off, right? And they care enough to where, well, I want my team to win, so we will. Right. Yep. How can we get that guy on our team? How can we get that guy? He needs some money. I got some money. I got. Some- <laughs> <laughs> hey, out of the miscellaneous funds. <laughs> You know, this is what this is what SMU was doing. Right. Texas A and M was doing. This is what, what was it? The uh, Pony Express. The Pony Express. Yeah. Thirty for thirty. This is this is what they were doing because they're like, we, and it, and it would and what's funny with boosters, it would be for petty reasons. Yeah. Like with SMU, the the guy at the 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 office that went to SMU, he wants to just talk trash to the dude from right. Texas A and M. <laughs> right. <laughs> that game last night, you know, it was just, it was just for you know those petty reasons. But it's like, yeah, we'll give the players some money because we want to we want to win and have that kind of that pride in our school. But also, we want to talk trash to the dude who went to the other school. <laughs> that the old school water cooler at the water cooler talk. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it do, is it how we? How can we get him? Do we need to get him a car? Do we need to get him a house? Do we need to get his mama a house? So right. how do we? How, how we get him better? Because we we want to win. We want right. to dominate. So it's like the only the boosters care about the the players, you know, having a few dollars. But it's the uh, with the NCAA. And and probably people who have that 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 outlook that well you have a scholarship isn't that enough? Or trying to make that enough, right? And and you well you were a student athlete, but the student athlete came from. Uh, someone told me that it came from. Uh, someone coined the term because a uh, a college athlete was uh, he was hurt. And he could not get like an insurance payout or something mm-hmm. because he was not considered like an employee, like as an athlete. Uh, so he was a student athlete because student was put first. That's like, OK, he doesn't actually have a job, so he's we can't insure him or make this insurance payout. Right. So that's where that all came from. And people are using it as a uh, student is supposed to, you're supposed to be a student first before you're an athlete. But with all this, all these billions and billions of dollars being made, they, how are, how is the athlete not entitled to any of it when it's off of literally off of their backs? Right. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, let's uh, run down college basketball before we get out of here. On the women's side, it's still South Carolina, twenty-seven and zero. Uh, hey, till you beat the the best team in the league, uh, there's no reason for that to change. And even if they lose a game, I don't see how they drop. We're talking about dropping Georgia one to four. I still have them number one if they lost a game, especially if it's to upcoming LSU uh, soon. Uh, two is Ohio State, three is Texas, four Stanford, five Virginia. Uh, Iowa lost another game. They were four. They're down to six. Uh, S- Southern Cal's at seven. UCLA eight, nine. LSU and run out the top ten. And the women's side is UConn, who the men were number one, but they lost to Creighton uh, a couple few days ago. Uh, I think it was by like nineteen or twenty. But then Creighton turned around and lost to St. John's <laughs> immediately after that. So apparently they got up for that game. Plus it was a whiteout for St. John's 
And I don't know if you saw, but Rick Pitino had on his all white suit for the game. And they were saying that anytime he wears that, (laughs) (laughs) you're not winning that game. When Rick Pitino shows up in all white, you're not winning that game. Um, So that means Houston now is the number one team on the men's side. Was that the game they were showing uh, the dude from the Sopranos? Was that mm-hmm. the game? And uh, the dude who's uh, Tom DeVito's agent? Right. At the game wearing his that's... Italian-American Hall of Fame jacket? <laughs> that's, that, that is said game. <laughs> yeah, you're not winning that game when everybody dressed like that. Uh, so Houston now is number one. They are 24 and three, followed by Purdue. UConn, as mentioned, has dropped to three. Tennessee is four. Marquette, five. Arizona, six. Kansas, seven. Iowa State is eight. And then nine and 10 are Carolina and Duke. So that is the top 10 on the men's and women's side. One last note before uh, we leave Kiana Christmas. She is a high school. I'm not sure if she's a senior, whatever. She plays high school ball in New York for Fonda uh, Fultonville. She had a quintuple double, 11 points, 20 rebounds, 11 assists, 10 steals, and 10 blocks. Talk about impressive. I mean, (laughs) to be able to have a double in all five categories. Uh, puts her in, and to think about it, they do it in what do they have? Eight minute quarters in high school. Yeah, I want to say, yeah, this isn't like uh, WNBA or NBA where you know it's ten or twelve, but to do it in that short amount of time says a lot about you know what she did for for her school. So once again, congratulations to her. I think uh, Tamika Catchings was the first to ever have a recorded quintuple double uh, on any level. Uh, on she any level. High school as well. Um, and apparently only 13 players have actually accomplished that uh, in um, on the high school level. Whew. Uh, and there was one player who did it three times uh, in one season. <laughs> wow. So it's it's still a uh, – just to, like, read the stat line, it's like you had an impact on every single play, appears to be every single play in the game. Uh, and it, not even, like, through scoring because she had 11 points. But it right. Was, with all the it was everything else, right? That makes it like really, uh, that just makes it really stand out. Like it wasn't the scoring, it was all the other things, everything else, right? Uh, make sure you follow DNA Sports Talk on X, follow DNA Sports Talk on Meta, DNA Sports Talk on Instagram, reach us directly, DNA Sports Talk at gmail.com. The website is DNA Sports Talk.com. We'll see y'all next week. Peace.